Lion alive, roared the dwarf as soon as he had heard the news. And if that's so, why are we all standing still, chattering? Enemies at Anvard? News must be sent to Care of Paravel at once. The army must be called out. Narnia must go to the aid of King Loon. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Kel. And I'm Chase. And thank you so much for joining us today. Just a reminder that we are going to be talking about the third book in the series, The Horse and His Boy, but general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we will go on to tangents into other stories that we enjoy. We'll do our best to give spoiler warnings for anything that's too far out there. Uh, but today, we are discussing The Horse and His Boy, Chapter 12, Shasta in Narnia. Man, crazy. How do we end up here? Who knew? Uh, I thought we were in Archenland, uh, but uh, apparently we're in Narnia. Yeah, so did Shasta. <clears throat> you know, I guess wandering through the woods in a cloud gets you into different countries sometimes. Getting real, getting real ghosty up in here. Yeah, I mean, look, we've already got teleportation and random hermits living out in the middle of nowhere, so. I will get more with him, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. We definitely will next chapter. <laughs> give Chase. us a summary. Let's give a, yeah, let's hit that summary. Yep. Uh, so, as we mentioned briefly before, Shasta was standing in the woods after his encounter with mm-hmm. Aslan, uh, wondering if it had all been a dream the whole time. But where the lion was had been standing remained a deep, large paw print that then filled with water and became a stream running down the hill. Shasta stooped down and drank and washed his face in the water, leaving him refreshed and his mind clear to take in his surroundings. It was early morning, and he found himself in a valley dotted with trees. And he realized that in the night he must have passed through the mountains bordering Arshanland into the land of Narnia. He unsaddled his horse, let it get some grass, and he wandered further down into the valley to search for food himself. And then suddenly a voice called out wishing him good morning neighbor and he saw it was a large hedgehog and uh so they engaged in some conversation and shasta told him that you know an army might be attacking Anvard at that very moment and maybe it might be heading that way so someone should go warn the high king but the hedgehog said he was gonna go to sleep for the day so he'd rather do that instead and then a rabbit popped up, and the news was passed to it, but it also didn't want to, And this just kind of continues more and more, with more animals gathering and discussing how something should probably be done to warn of the attack, but no one, none of the woodland creatures really seem keen to carry the news themselves. Next, a dwarf and a stag wander up, and they take this news way more seriously. The dwarf says that someone must ride to Caraparavel and muster the army to the aid of Archenland. And the stag immediately takes off at speed to share the news. Then the Narnians remarked how bad and hungry Shasta looked. And he confirmed that he hadn't eaten since the morning before. So the dwarf led him down a hill to have breakfast with he and his brothers. They had eggs and bacon and toast. And after all, they had all filled up. Uh, they went out for the dwarves to light up their pipes and give Shasta a brief geography lesson on Narnia. And as they described the countryside, Shasta fell asleep and began to snore, exhaustion taking over. He slept pretty much all day, but woke up in time for the Narnian army to ride up. Uh, Oh, wait, no, he woke up in time for supper because the Narnian army doesn't show up till the next day. Anyways, he uh, spent the night with them 
wake up to the sound of trumpets. It's King Edmund, Queen Lucy, and who's that? Corin riding up to be like, wow, you made it here. That's crazy. And then uh, Corin explains to Edmund that this is the kid that they mistook him for in Tashvan. And Lucy says they look like twins. Crazy. A little time passed, and then Shasta heard Edmund being angry at Corin. And apparently a dwarf had been told not to let Corin go near the fighting at his family's castle. And then Corin started a fight over that. Edmund then got called away to something else, and so no one's watching Corin. And so he and Shasta put on dwarf's arm armor, and they joined the fighting, even though Shasta had no intentions to do so. <sighs> uh, the theme of this chapter is relief. Uh, and, you know, what a relief, Chase. Uh, oh, that, uh, what a relief it is. Oh, what a relief it is that, you know, we're in, it seems like we're in a whole new country with... Chase, was everything that just happened with that giant lion, was it all a dream? Q Biggie Smalls in the background. It was all a dream. Uh, it, I mean, it kind of would have been funny if it had been. Like, well, not yeah. even just that. Like, what if Shasta just woke up in the entire adventure had been a he's dream? still back in uh, in his little fisher's hut. Yeah, he he's like a kind of son, kind of slave. Or better yet. Mostly slave. What if this was lost and he was dead the whole time and the adventure was purgatory? Whoa, this is deep. His tra like his uh, meeting with Aslan was really him crossing into heaven. Yeah, that was his uh, that was his judgment moment. He found his way to Narnia, but only through the trials and tribulation refining him over time. This is real Pilgrim's Progress kind of stuff. Yeah, this uh, is. I mean, this is Pilgrim's Progress in Narnia, but also this is become very Catholic very quickly. Yeah, I mean, like, that's more or less what C.S. Lewis is. He's kind of Catholic light. Uh, yeah. He's but, like where the uh, the British Anglican Church kind of drifts into Catholicism and just, he's just kind of loose. He's yeah. just kind of out there. He just likes to do his own thing sometimes. He's got uh, his opinions. Yeah, but Turns out, Shasta, it was not a dream. It was a dream within a dream within a Narnia, which is a different world. It's not a dream. That's yeah. all that we know. And uh, in that not dream, apparently, Aslan only has one foot. One foot, but man, does that paw print make a huge, huge difference. Well, uh, that's actually why it was so deep, is because Aslan was standing on one leg the whole time. <laughs> We, we've gotten mad at Aslan standing on two legs, and now we're kind of concerned that he only stands on one leg. Yeah, just kind of doing him. like a yoga pose as he's shining mm. with light and giving real tree, tree pose kind of stuff. I get that. Uh, you know, you got to do what you got to do. You got to stay limber if you're a lion that's bigger than a horse. And, yeah. uh, you know, you also like to indulge yourself on two legs sometimes. So you know, Aslan's surprisingly <laughs> flexible for his size. Surprisingly flexible for his size. Uh, you know, he is, you know, he's got to be able to move quick and, and you know, jump over, you know, valleys and mountains and stuff. So, and apparently transport people to Narnia because <clears throat> this paw print turns into a little pond and then a river and a stream that rolls down the hill and into the grass. And Shasta takes a drink and looks over his surroundings and he think he realizes he's in a completely different country, Chase. Yeah, just casually wanders into Narnia in the middle of the night in a fog, um, which 
brings the question, can Aslan only appear in the Narnian borders? Um, like, it kind of seems like Aslan only appeared whenever Shasta was officially in Narnia. Well, Chase, Aslan exists in all worlds and in all places, maybe just in different yes, ways. But in Callerman, he appears as Tash. Maybe not Tash. Maybe not Tash. Uh, maybe he's just someone... wait till the final battle coming <clears throat> soon to coming soon in HS. Four years. Yeah, uh, five years from now, whenever we finish this book. <laughs> but so we, uh, yeah, uh, so yeah, his his little paw print turns into a thing of water. Yeah. Uh, drink some water, which is which is kind of a like Jesusy thing. Like, <clears throat> yeah, it becomes a stream of living water, and it refreshes him. And it, you turn to your side and you realize that you weren't walking alone this whole time because there was lion paw prints next to you. And yep. they were also water. Yes, lion paw prints in the sand. Uh, lion paw prints in the sand. Um, now, I know it's Aslan water, but would you drink this dirty footprint, footprint water, Kel? Uh How thirsty am I? Uh, am I, I haven't had breakfast since the day before. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's Aslan. Uh, even though I know nothing about who Aslan is, this lion seems never heard of him. Good. Random lion in the woods also says that he's attacked you multiple times, but attacked me multiple times and has deliberately sliced up the back of my friend. Hey, don't ask about that. Don't. That's not your story. Stop it. Uh, you know what? That's a great point. Uh, I may just wait for breakfast uh, because it's coming shortly. Uh, but we, so he observes his surroundings. He realizes in his new country. And then he, you know, apparently Shasta is a geography whiz now and goes, ah, those mountains are the ones between Argentland and Narnia, which means I'm on Narnia land now. Uh, I, how? Very, is, very aware of the borders. He's, he's paying way more attention to his like, geography maps than i ever did when i was in elementary school well that's actually why he didn't sleep through the geography lesson later because he already knows it no it knows it all yeah that's fair so he realizes he's in narnia and then he uh uh, like unpacks and unbridles his horse and he goes wow you are a sucky horse and then c.s lewis makes sure that we know that the horse thinks the very same of shots he goes wow the horse had a very low opinion of Shasta. So this is a mutual disrespect. To be fair, not the first horse who's had a low opinion of Shasta. Not the first person in this book who's had a low opinion of, opinion of Shasta. Did Maybe Shasta he just had too high of an opinion of Shasta. Did Shasta just give off like some like screw you vibes to horses? Like Shasta just needs to work on his attitude. And Maybe. Uh, hey, hey, Shasta, can you stop being poor? Like, can you just stop? Uh, not having uh, experience riding horses, you idiot. Pe- people would be so much more likable if they had money. <laughs> <laughs> That's what people tell you and me all the time, Chase. Yep. yep. <laughs> it's uh, working on it, but not going well. It's slow progress. <laughs> but so this horse uh, disrespects Shasta, doesn't have a good opinion. Uh, and Shasta is like, well, I, you know, there's no good going to back to Anvard. Because uh, it's going to be besieged right now, so like I, I mean, I guess. Sorry, I guess I did what I could, and but now I'm going to go down to the valley and see if I can get anything to eat. And wouldn't you believe it, Chase? He's going to find some people or some animals who and can eventually get him to that very task. Which 
he does eat bacon later in this chapter and once again calls into question eating meat in Narnia. Are there talking pigs? Is this a problem? Uh, Or was this one of those dumb pigs? Only dumb man. (laughs) Again, it causes a problem. Causes issues. This is how eugenics happened. We don't have to talk about it. That that talking pigs own pig farms of dumb pigs? That that's an episode of some TV show. I think that might be a uh, SpongeBob with Mr. Krabs. SpongeBob would probably tackle that. Name name another crab in the SpongeBob series. You're, you can't. That, what's you what's know the, what the Krabby what, Patties? You, that they're called Krabby Patties. I'm just saying. I'm pretty sure Mr. Krabs murdered a bunch of crabs and made their meat. That's why people like it so much. Man, but we digress. Dark journey. I like to think Chase. That this is the point in the book where uh, C.S. Lewis has to remind us that he is both friends with uh, J.R.R. Tolkien and that he's British uh, because he, you know, Shasta's walking down the hill. We get a nice little description of some landscape um, and he goes down this hill and you hear, good morning, neighbor. Uh, And he looks around and it's a little hedgehog. uh, But this is a very like Bilbo Baggins good morning where it's like he's just is giving the, the, you know, the greeting that seems necessary, uh, seems like he, he needs to. Uh, and then Shasta's like, hey, I'm actually not a neighbor. I'm a stranger, and I've come from Archenland. Um, and the hedgehog's like, oh, yeah, Archenland. It's far away away. He's like, it's really not. It's just it comes. I, so, so many questions with it. Both the idea that living 10 feet from Archenland, you've never been there and consider it far away. But also the idea that the Narl- the Nardians view Kellerman as like thousands of miles and impossibly away. Yeah. What what does this say about the Nardians? Like this feels That's very naive. Geography than a twelve year old. Yeah, there's that, but also like they just feel like they've been lulled into a false sense of security. Well, and as you know, to be fair, as the uh, as the chapter will point out, you know they they have been living under the like the until recently the rulership of the white witch and i'm you know i i don't uh not to you know question her her ruling uh like operation style but i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if she was not you know very keen on educating the public i just like to point out that if her olympic gymnast said anything mean about her son then uh, that Olympic gymnast would have made it home and had some worth. I'm pretty sure if the White Witch's, you know, Narnian tenure sent Olympic delegates, they would definitely be competing under the uh, Narnian Olympic Committee, uh, not uh, the, you know, for the country of Narnia, because there'd definitely be some sort of doping scandal or some sort of, uh, you know, rough, uh, you know, like bad thing that would cause them to uh, not be able to actually compete. But at the same time, like if your competition is Kellerman and, and Vard, like what I, I feel like and then, too naive to really care and do anything. And then well, it's, also cheating. It's kind of not fair though, because like in, in this theoretical Olympics, you know, 
do the Narnian talking animals compete against humans? Because like obviously they like Narnia has cheetahs. That's not gonna be fair in a hundred meter dash. Like Narnia has mer people. You think they're gonna lose in a swimming competition? Like yeah. Narnia has uh what like, if you make them what if they're not allowed to wear shorts? <laughs> <laughs> this is a great point. Narnia has centaurs. Are centaurs allowed to compete in the human events or in equestrian? Is either way, it sounds kind of racist. And <laughs> I I just think there's a lot of issues with this Olympic committee that they're gonna have to solve. But all that to say, uh these uh so this hedgehog is talking to Shasta. Uh, he's he good mornings him and you know Shasta's like hey there's an army of Calamines like attacking uh, like Anvard um, and we need to go help them and the hedgehog is like oh yeah someone ought to do something about that hey neighbor and he talks to another neighbor and oh, I was about to go to bed but uh how howdy there neighbor yep it, like and then you know they tell this rabbit and the rabbit's like oh no someone should do something about that. Hey, neighbor. Uh, <laughs> it just happens over and over again until they have a crowd. There's, it's, uh, there's a really weird comment from the narrator. And, and like you mentioned, after the witch had been defeated, the smaller woodland people of Narnia were so safe and happy that they were getting a little careless. Yeah. And it feels like a weird, weirdly pointed dig from C.S. Lewis to somebody. But we don't know who. Like, this feels like C.S. Lewis thinks poor people or, like, people who live in the country are lazy, and that's a weird trope to jump on. Maybe. For. Maybe. It's, it's either that or, like, this is, you know, post-World War II, maybe he's like, stay on your toes. He's, like, that kind of crazy old man. And he's like, don't you know, be around <laughs> any corner. It's like, all right, Clive, you need to settle down a little bit. These young people don't understand what we did. It's like, C.S. Lewis, you fought in a war 40 years ago. Still appreciate what you did, but like... Still carry my musket. (laughs) He's got a musket? Man, that's... That seems like a disadvantage in in World War I. I mean, look, that's why the British needed our help. It's because they were using the same muskets they used in the... That's why we sent all those weapons to Britain before we joined the war. Uh, they haven't updated their uh, their land forces since uh, since the seventeen seventy six American Revolution. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that would track. Maybe state of the art land forces still wearing red coats. <laughs> they're, they're, I like to think that their navy is still like Pirates of the Caribbean esque, uh, oh, yeah. where it's like they're, they wear they're white wigs while they're fighting. Yes, uh, and everyone's just real confused, and then they lie, then they die. Uh, but uh, it's so, okay yeah, because they come back as uh, bone pirates. That's true. That's why they can't. That's why they can't lose. Uh, but um, we, yeah. So you said you mentioned how the you know smaller woodland people are getting a little little complacent uh, right now. These poor people just need to work harder, pull yeah. themselves up by their bootstraps. Yeah, you know it is what it is. But good news for Shasta is that his words are eventually going to find some uh, some solid ground uh, with a red dwarf named Duffel uh, and a and a stag like a little little deer uh, and uh, the you know the dwarf you know is real concerned about this and he's like we need to go to 
care Paravel at once. We need to uh, warn King Peter. Uh, but, you know, the hedgehog's like, oh, King Peter's not home. Uh, he's, you know, off fighting those giants. Uh, and, uh, you know, talking about giants, neighbors, that puts me. And then, like, he's just completely interrupted. And the dwarf is like, dude, like, someone needs to go and, like, stop, stop being, like, neighborly. We need yeah. to go and fight. <laughs> It doesn't matter. Queen Lucy is just as capable of mustering the army as her brother. Let's let's get this rolling. Come on. Yes. Come on now. Yeah. And so uh, Stag is fast, which is why Stag is there and therefore yeah. runs away. End of yeah, I, I you know, I like how the dwarf gets a name, but the stag is just called Stag. Uh and Stag, stag is plot device. Stag is messenger pigeon. Stag is messenger pigeon who doesn't have time for a full explanation. Yeah, it uh, doesn't stay for the end of the sentence. You give, let me know. He goes, how many people? He's like 200 under Prince Robert. And the stag just, he's gone. He just, he, that's all he needed. Stag like, doesn't stay till end of sentence, but army takes their sweet time. And then also when they get there, kind of lingers for a while. Why take lot time saying many words when few words do trick? Yes, word. Bye. <laughs> uh, so Stag is off. He's just he's bolted. Uh, he, 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 never, here. Uh, he was never even there. Uh, and then uh, you know, Duffel's like, all right, he's going off to find Queen Lucy. Uh, and you know, he's like, Oh shoot, like the the human, uh, what's wrong with the human? It looks pretty green. Uh, why I do I do believe it's quite faint. Perhaps it's mortal hungry. Why does he keep saying it? He knows this is a human boy. Like, he knows humans. Sure. But also, Shasta is low enough class to be in it. Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is how Erebus sees him. Uh, but Please, that aside, all of included, uh, green with hunger is a thing? Sure. You know, when I get hungry, I definitely turn green like the Hulk, I guess. Uh, No, I'm hungry right now. Am I looking green? You don't want to see me hungry. (laughs) My my secret captain. I'm always hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Too true. Uh, And so, but yeah, this they just stop in the middle of this. And like I said, this is the British chapter. This is the, we're like, hey, we got to remind people that British hospitality and like we, we eat breakfast and we do these things. And, uh, you know, what would J.R.R. Tolkien do? He would have some unnecessary, like he'd have some short people have an unnecessary time to eat breakfast uh, or a meal. Uh, and so as opposed to a hobbit, make it a dwarf. Uh, and, you know, hey, youngster, uh, when was the last time you had a meal? Uh, yesterday morning, apparently. Uh, so Shasta's, you know, pretty hungry. Which I... I know he's been traveling a bunch. He's been running hard, but also you can make it a day without food, without turning yeah. green. Sure. I've fasted before. It sucks. It's sure. also fine. You, yeah. You're fine. A day is fine. Uh, but um, so he, the dwarf takes Shasta, goes, uh, takes him back to his place. Uh, and his brothers are there cooking. And it was a delightful smell, one he had never smelled before in his life because he's poor. Uh, and, you know, he goes, I hope you have. In fact, it's the smell of bacon and eggs and mushrooms. All fry get a pan. And here's the thing, Chase. I like mushrooms. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan. Who cooks bacon, egg, and mushrooms? 
Yeah, I would cook the bacon first, then fry the mushrooms in the bacon fat, and then pour the eggs over that into a mushroom omelet. If it were sounds pretty good. Yeah, I'm currently hungry. So there you go. Chase is like, "Mm, I would, I would poach these eggs, and I would. uh, If this was my challenge on guys' grocery games, I, I'd be fine. Man, Guy Fieri, what an addition to Narnia that we definitely need. Oh, I, he, he's just, he's the cook at Care Paravel. Care Paravel is Flavor Town. I like to think right that Guy Fieri is going to join the battle at the end of this chapter and in, into the next chapter. And he's killing Callermans going, welcome to Flavor Town. Uh, <laughs> That's what he says before he makes the fatal blow. It's kind of like Captain Falcon where he's like, show me your moves. But yeah. it's <laughs> welcome to Flavor Town. We're hitting all the best diners, drive-ins, and dives from Archenland all the way to the uh, the beautiful castle of Care Paravel. We're going to skip Calamine. I mean, it has some pretty good food. Calamine did sound like it had some good food. It would be pretty dope. But, so, yeah, they make some bacon, eggs, and mushrooms. Let's ignore the pig uh, that had to sacrifice its life for this meal in a land of, you know, talking animals. Um but he goes, the dwarf's like, mind your head, uh, you know, because it's it's a home built for dwarfs. Yeah. Goes, to remind us that they're short. <laughs> yeah, table's a bit low for you, but then the stool's low too. So it's all good. It's I mean, like, I guess that's logic. Th- there uh, are cultures that sit on lower tables anyways. And sure. you, you're, you're fine. Just yeah. yeah, he'll get it. Uh, he, he's all good. I mean, the fact that he has a table to sit at is probably an upgrade. Yeah, uh, he's, he's seen a table before, right? Poor people have tables. <laughs> who knew we were going to be dunking on Shasta's poverty so much in this podcast if that's not the main point of this book I don't know what is it's it that- does make sure that we know exactly what station in life Shasta's from but uh, we meet uh, dwarfs uh, the dwarf uh, Duffel's brothers real quick uh, we don't really meet them but we hear about them their names are Rajan and Bricklethumb um, cool Great. Uh, and, and, that's, and that's about it uh, that we get from them. Yeah, they eat, eat a lot and eat, yeah. are free to ask for more, I guess. is the, They got plenty of food. Have, they they yeah. have small portions, but they have plenty for seconds. So they just kind of like, I don't know why they'd mention the portion sizes in this, because they keep asking for more. And then Duffel's like, hey. Is J.R. Tolkien not telling us that second breakfast is just because they're eating tapas? Ah, un tapas? These are small eggs. You uh, get your tapas in uh, Spain. <laughs> we like fucking, especially that uh, That's how we, in my Spanish classes, that's how we had to learn how to uh, speak in Spanish Spanish. Uh, it works better for me because I cannot roll my R's. So it's... Uh, yeah, there you go. Um, but uh, Duffel's like, all right, cool. Now that you're fed and you've been traveling for a long time, let me slowly tell you about the geography of Narnia. <laughs> yeah, I can't blame Shasta for falling asleep there. No one was asking for another geography lesson in these nah, No one wanted it. And I'm glad Shasta fell asleep. C.S. Lewis got our notes from the last book about yeah. his geography sections and made sure to include that. It's a meta moment. He, this, yeah. is a, this is a meta C.S. Lewis. He's like, I see you, reader. I know that you've been falling asleep during these geographical uh, explanations I've been giving. So but I'm not going to stop doing it. I'm just going to acknowledge that it's boring as I still bore you. 
yes, indeed. Hey, but it's a step. Uh, and so the dwarves are like, oh, shh, little baby's sleeping. Let's, uh, let's make sure that we don't wake him up. Really great, nice hospitality. They fed him. They're going to let him sleep. Um, and he slept like the whole day into the next morning. Uh, and then, is that trumpets, Chase? I guess so. I mean, it. Uh, why are they showing up the next morning when Narnia isn't that big and Rabidash has been attacking for like two days now? Hey, Stag, is, say, fast. Stag is not that fast. I mean, Stag should be fast enough to get to Care Paravel in like two hours, right? That's fair. I mean, granted, the geography of the book, uh, you know, of, of the the previous book that we read, you know, you, the, the travel between these places could easily take a day or an hour. So it's it's tough to say. Uh, but uh, they all that really matters is that you see the Narnian army come marching up with a a banner of a red lion on a green ground, and Shasta knew him at once. He knew exactly who that lion was. It was Aslan's friend, uh, the one that he, you know, had glasses on. Yeah, uh, the only other lion in Narnia. Yes. Because it can't have been Aslan, because Aslan only had one foot. Correct. Uh, everyone knows this. We know this. Or maybe uh, that's why, because Aslan was doing the, like, the uh, rampant pose. Ah, uh, and he just happened to lift his back leg, one of his back legs up. I yeah. gotcha. That makes sense. But so you see the army and then you see three people riding ahead of everyone. One is King Edmund. Uh, one is a fair haired lady with a merry face uh, who wore a helmet and a male shirt and a bow across her. Oh, that's Queen Lucy. That's neat. Uh, and then the other one on a pony is Prince Corin. Wow. Oh, Prince Corin. Look at him. Uh, and then it talks about all the people that are coming with the main body of the army. And, uh, you know, Edmonds calls everyone to halt. And then Corin uh, runs up to Shasta, seizes him with both of his hands. He's like, hey, you made it. Were they both coming to this same spot? Like, they didn't have an agreement to meet here. Yeah. All they said when they parted was, if you ever make it to Archonland for any reason, tell King I'll tell my dad, hey. Yeah, and then he, you know, gave him a finger gun and a wink, like yep. he did that. Pushing that all the yeah, <laughs> Jamie Lannister's him, uh, and then this—that was their parting. But he's like, "Ah, you made it through all right." And it's like, I guess, yeah, we're both here. Um, and now, Corin immediately—you mentioned this, uh, at, you know, in the was this? I guess that was a, either the—I think it was before the pod started, but. This is when Corrin really goes into sweet life of uh, Corrin and Shasta mode. Yeah, it fully, like, their personalities are Zach and Cody. This is the sweet life of Corrin and Shasta, for sure. It's, like, Corrin is the loud, adventurous, I'm going to get us into trouble one, and Shasta is there. Shasta's like, <laughs> Shasta, Shasta's there. He's not as there as, you know, uh, Susan is, because she doesn't really apply anymore. Yeah, uh, she stayed at home because uh, she's a lady and Lucy is a tomboy. So, yes, yeah. This but, is the very Sansa and uh, Arya Stark situation here. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, but yeah, Corin's like, oh, we could have so much fun. Like, we're going to be able to do this and that. And, we're, and uh, King Edmund's like, hey, who's your friend? And then Corin's like, hey, look at this. Don't you see? It's like, it's like seeing double as the guy that you mistook me for. Uh, and then Queen Lucy's like, 
they look like twins. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Edmund's like finger wag. Maybe you shouldn't listen to other people's conversations. Yeah, it's because Shasta's like, hey, I promise I'm not a traitor. I also did tell you, like, like I tried to resist, and you just kind of kidnapped me. Yeah, you uh, kidnapped me, and then Rabidash was going to kidnap Susan. It's all kidnapping. You got kidnapped when you were a kid. It, you were fine. Hey, but let's also not acknowledge that I'm the reason that y'all are going to get saved here, and that I'm the reason that, uh, you know, Argentland isn't going to get conquered, uh, but whatever. How, how could they know that, though? Uh, Stag, if he had listened, yeah, uh, you know, Stag, Stag only heard half the sentence. <laughs> Stag, Stag only heard two hundred men and ran. Stag does not. Uh, he does not wait around for explanations uh, that could have helped. Uh, you know, give Shasta an alibi. Yeah, Stag, Stag wants bullet points, not a full email. <laughs> Stag wants bullet point. He wants half of a bullet point. He wants. He wants a. He wants the email header. Yeah, you you need to be able to fit this into a one sentence summary, or I'm not. Stag, Stag is the guy that sends a work email with the main information in the title of the email, uh, and the subject of the email, and then leaves the rest of the email blank. Oh gosh. So Stag is a 45 year old woman. Yes. He, yeah. Stag is several of my coworkers. <laughs> yes. Uh, Stag don't he has three grandchildren and is figuring out text messages. Like how you said 45-year-old woman and then said three grandchildren. Uh, I think you need to elevate your age a little bit. <laughs> Maybe let's make this like 70. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the riffing could only go so far. It could only be so connected. It's hey, Stag doesn't have time totally. to try to riff correctly. <laughs> Stag doesn't have time for math. Math, not a part of, math heard, Stag heard number and he went. Uh, so... We knew there was 200 men, but we're not asking any follow-up questions. And this is why Edmund, Are they on horses? Do they have swords? What do kind of provisions do they have? Are they are, are they prepared for a siege? Doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Yeah. Stag didn't have time. That's That information doesn't matter. And that's the reason why Edmund is like, well, Shasta, you know, I know that you're not a traitor now, but, you know, if you don't want to be taken for one, maybe don't listen to what other people are, you know, you don't, you're not supposed to be hearing. It's like, Okay, Edmund, like, yeah, look, calm down a little bit. I know you're not a traitor now, but I could technically hang you for one. Just heads up. Just wanted to let you know I have that authority. I am the king. Uh, I just want to let you know, like, my dad knows some really important people. So, I mean, Edmund's dad doesn't really, you know, matter at this point. I mean, unless he's Edmund you know, unless actually doesn't have him, a dad. Edmund's um, kind of his dad. But, well, I mean, next chapter. There is, I mean, spoiler alert for my notes for next chapter. I do transition to calling King Loon King Dad about halfway through. That's fair. I respect Edmund and everyone like they're his children. Yeah. Uh, but so, you know, Edmund, you know, rebukes uh, Shasta and then the prince gets into some trouble uh, and they get really cool. mad at Prince Corin because Chris, Prince Corin, like we've mentioned that he's more of the like the scamp. Uh, kind of character, but he's also kind of just like a little brat uh, because you know what we've mentioned. They're they are twins, so they're and they're roughly like twelve, is what we're guessing. Yeah, and, and as we know, with all twins, one person gets what one side of the personality, and the other person gets the other half of the personality. Sure, so and Corin got all the like rambunctious fun parts, and then Shasta got all the like. 
important, like do what you're told parts. Sure. And so, and by the odd couple, but twins, which is the premise of Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. Sure. The rambunctious fun parts uh, in this scenario means he's kind of a butthole because he's been told, hey, you're not going to fight in this battle because you're a 12 year old, you're a child. And then Corin throws a fit and starts fighting with a dwarf, and the dwarf sprains his ankle. uh, And so he won. So Corin won, is what you said. And here's here's all of this to say, like, if he is able to wrestle one of quote the best fighters that they have, uh, the the uh, deprived us of approved warrior. If he's able to fight and beat him, maybe he should be in the battle. Like, I'm not advocating for twelve year olds being in war. Maybe I'm advocating more for like, hey, maybe this dwarf shouldn't. This is what like. The question that I had with this section is, should Corrin be allowed to fight? Because I think there's good reason for him not to, other than his age. Like, if Anvard got taken, he is the heir to the throne and should not be in the battle because it's kind of the the don't have the president and vice president in the same place at the same time kind of situation. That makes sense. Uh, But also... You know, if we're going by Narnian logic, uh, we just allowed teenagers to fight uh, against the White Witch in the last book. So, I mean, yeah, he's 12. He should have at least killed two sorcerers by now, honestly. I mean, by the time he was 12, Harry Potter had already uh, defeated Voldemort Quirrell and gone through all of the, you know, trials of, uh, you know, getting to Voldemort Quirrell and he had saved Ginny Weasley from the Chamber of Secrets and defeated Voldemort, Tom, uh, and a giant snake. So, I mean, this is how I, like, I when I began in youth ministry, this is kind of how I judged my my students, was like, at, like as they progressed through age, it's like, as a 14-year-old, could you have won the, tri- tri- the Triwizard Tournament? I don't think you could have. Yeah, and I I think that you need. I, mean, to I feel be, pretty confident I could have. Or like you know, as like you know, this is the question I ask about my students, like about their maturity. I was like, hey, as a sixteen-year-old, like, would you be able to, uh, you know, deliver Dumbledore from near death uh, into the tower, um, and you know, do all that? I don't know. To be fair, as a fifteen-year-old, he was able to whine for approximately five hundred chapters straight. So. He's got a lot of stuff going on, Chase. Uh, you wouldn't understand. You just don't understand me, Dad, because like I have a girlfriend now, but also like my my fake dad died. So uh, my Harry has a lot of fake dads die, which is yeah. real tough. Uh, it just keeps happening. What can you do? Maybe don't be a fake dad to Harry Potter. Um, but also, I just want to put float this out there. Whenever you said to started to say. Well, when Harry Potter was 12, he did this. The first thing that popped into my mind was, Tony Stark built this in a cave with a box of scraps. I mean, he did. He, he did. But, but we're not Tony Stark, nor are we Harry Potter, and nor is Shasta or Corrin. But I'm about to say, my ultimate question, or answer to your question, I don't think Corrin should be allowed to fight in this because, granted, he's a 12-year-old. He is the heir. Uh, you know, a lot of reasons, even though he will, spoiler, end up doing well in the battle, 
maybe there are a lot of reasons, but it's uh yeah, I think it makes sense for him to not fight. I I mean, obviously he was going to anyways, but how irresponsible are everybody to not pay attention as they go into the fight? Yeah. Like this is yeah. on them. If they really didn't want this him is. to fight, then yeah. they should have done something about it other than just say you shouldn't be there. And they know his personality. Because yeah. immediately, what Chase is referring to is Corin immediately is like, oh, my bad. Hey, look, that dwarf's armor is just lying on the ground over there. Oh, there's two sets. Come on, friend. And they run over and they pretend to be dwarves uh, to go into battle. And Shasta's like, oh, no, yeah. I'm getting too old for this. Uh, and he is not wanting to go for it. And that's the that's how the chapter ends. Because they're just going into battle now. Yep. It, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'm they sure. I only think Shasta is dead for like half the chapter. Ooh, who knows? He could be dead. How am I supposed to know? But we'll figure out that. Chase, would you like to dive further up and further in? I would love to dive. Um, I can go first. Uh, my further up and further in today is really just talking about this idea of hospitality that we see in this chapter. Um, so Shasta, as we saw, goes to hang out with some dwarfs and they're super friendly and nice and they give him food and Shasta has a place to sleep. He spends the night at their house. He gets a geography lesson. He may or may not be handed a pipe, which is inappropriate to give a 12 year old. But either way, uh, this kind of hospitality communicates the type of peace and rest and welcome that Shasta has been looking for from the start of this journey. Um, it, there's a Hebrew concept, uh, and again, Narnia, biblical allegory, why I'm bringing up a Hebrew concept. Uh, there's a Hebrew concept, uh, called Shalom. Uh, it's this idea of peace and rest and wholeness. And part of what C.S. Lewis tries to do with Narnia is whenever Shasta enters into Narnia, he is entering into this place where all these things are now available to him. All the hospitality, all that peace, all that rest is now available to him simply by the nature of the people of Narnia being inherently good in, in the world that he's constructed. And so this, uh, and a lot of times in literature especially, the idea of sharing a meal is the idea of extending friendship. It is the idea of uh, offering a helping hand. And so that kind of hospitality really gets uh, built out here. And I mean, it really is the only thing that happens in this chapter. So what can you do? What can you do? Um, my further up and further in is what I like to call the first or the false relief. Um, this is also what I like to, to, to give some explanation for this, I like to think of this as the, uh, I like to call it the uh, the fake winter, uh, where if you live in Texas, you'll especially understand this, where you all summer, uh, you you know, it's hot all, all summer long, it's 100 degrees, and then randomly uh, in, you know, October, uh, it's going to get really cold. Uh, it's going to, you know, for whatever reason, it's like 50 degrees for one weekend. And then it's going to immediately climb back up to 90 degrees uh, the next week. 
Uh, and I like to call that, you know, I think that's the, the fake winter. And this is this idea where of this first relief, this false relief in literature, where it's the it's the calm, it's the rest that, uh, you know, the main character receives before the final battle, where it's, you know, this is Shasta going in, he's able to breathe, he's able to sleep, he's able to get some food, meet some like friends, some allies. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you get this lighter tone before going into the battle. This is a relief. And you'll see this in a lot of places in script in, in literature, in stories, in fiction, and, you know, where there is some sort of relief and rest before the final battle. And then afterwards, that's when you get the real rest, the real relief. Um, you know, if you think about uh, in Lord of the Rings, this is not, uh, this is the path of like Aragorn and, uh, you know, all of the, the, you know, soldiers where they've, you know, had the battle, uh, in, um, Minas Tirith, they've won. It's great. Uh, and this is, they get to rest a little bit and they talk before going to, uh, the battle of the black gate, uh, in front of that, you know, this is real, real deep dive Lord of the Rings stuff, but it's this first or this false relief, uh, where it's like you breathe a little bit, but the battle's not actually done yet. Uh, and I think this is what you're seeing in this uh, first chapter, uh, or in this, in the end of this chapter. But Chase, you know what I see over here? It's two sets of armor. Wouldn't you believe it? It's two sets of headphones, uh, two sets of microphones. Uh, perfect for a podcast. Uh, maybe we should do that. Uh, I, 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 I guess. I, Sweet, I, let's I, go. <laughs> I'll take that as a yes. Uh, Chase. Uh, the, the best way that we could support this Narnian army is for us to just tell people where they can help us out more. Uh, I, you know, the best things that you could do, go follow us on uh, social media at the, on Instagram at the Chronicles of podcast, go, you know, like all of our stuff, share uh, our podcast. Uh, well, our podcasts are found anywhere. You can find podcasts, audible, Spotify, Apple podcasts, whatever, leave us a five-star rating, leave us some good comments. Let us know what we can do to improve. Share these podcasts with your friends because, uh, you know, if you don't want us to get into any trouble, you should really keep an eye on us and make sure that we have as much, uh, you know, viewership and, and listeners as possible so that we don't, uh, you know, take this podcast to places that you don't want to go. Like, uh, you know, for example, to a battle against, uh, you know, the Calamines. <sighs> oh, Chase fell asleep. On that note, good night, everyone. I got to be quiet. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Love the Rock. I'm personally a huge Rock fan. But Kel, can you smell <laughs> what the Rock is cooking? I don't care what you gotta say. Tony Stark built this in a cave with a box of scraps.